All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Josh. I'm the minister here at ACC, um, as you all know. I'm excited because we get to jump into, I believe this is week four of our seven-week series on the Psalms. We're doing this series on the Psalms we're calling Selah. Um, we're calling it Selah because Selah is that Hebrew word that you find in the Psalms um, that mysteriously we don't know what it means. Um, there's some people who say it means to lift up. Some people who say it means to pray. Some people who say it means to ponder. But really, we just don't know what it means. And so we're, uh, in a little bit, we're embracing the mystery of, of Hebrew poetry. We're lifting up our voices. We're lifting up our hearts. We're taking time to pause and reflect on God and his word. And, and we're experiencing the Psalms. So we've been going through all these little different genres and styles of psalms. We looked at lament psalms. We looked at praise psalms. We looked at uh, wisdom psalms. And today we're going to look at a very special genre of psalms called royal psalms or kingship psalms. And so if you would like to follow along with me, uh, we're going to be reading Psalm 72. If you would like to exhibit a posture of prayer and relationship with God as we read, and you want to just close your eyes and, and spend time with God as I read through, and you experience this psalm, you're welcome to do that as well. But first, why don't, we, why don't we start with a word of prayer? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for much, so much for the psalms. We thank you for this avenue that you have given us to be able to be in relationship with you, that we can pray the same prayers as David and Solomon and Moses and the great cloud of witnesses who came before us. God, we get to pray the same prayers and sing the same songs that they did to you. And so, Father, as we dive into your word, we ask that you would help us to build relationship with you. We ask that you would help us to worship you and exalt you. And we ask that your word would change our hearts and change our minds and transform us into becoming more and more like Christ. And it says, His name we pray. And the church said, Amen. And so I, I want to jump right into Psalm 72. And I want us to just experience this psalm together, and then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about it. This is a royal psalm. Read out of the NIV. Psalm 72. It says, Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. 
He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all the nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. Just as a note, that last verse, this concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. So the book of Psalms is broken up into five different books. And that is the very end of book number two. That's why you have that verse at the end. So that, in a sense, that's the end of a full unit. And so, we just read a royal psalm, a kingship psalm. And the the interesting thing about royal psalms, we're going to step back and we're going to put ourselves in the mind of the Israelites. They were prayers to God, but they were also prayers about God the king, the earthly king. They were sung at royal weddings, at processions, to pay homage to the king. This was something that they would do in their political life. It's really, I mean, in a sense, it was a political psalm. It was a prayer to their, to God about their leader. So, so this one here in Psalm 72 says, of Solomon, a psalm of Solomon. If you, if you were with us on Tuesday during Bible study, we talked a little bit about these titles here, of Solomon. The tricky part about a psalm of Solomon is, is in the original language, it could mean of Solomon in the sense that Solomon wrote it. It also could mean for Solomon, as in somebody wrote it about Solomon. And it could mean in the style so it could have been David writing about Solomon. It could have been Solomon writing about his son. It could have been somebody else writing a tribute about Solomon. We, we really don't know who wrote it. I try not to get into the who wrote what. But this, despite all of that, we can say this much. It is, it is a psalm that has something to do with Solomon. Because the title says, A Psalm of Solomon. A Solomon's Psalm. And so it's this, it's this prayer of good fortune on the king from a father to a son perspective. That's why it starts out, endow the king with your justice, the royal son, the king's son, with your righteousness. And so as we're thinking about this, I want us to be thinking about how we relate to the king. Because it was a political song. And I find it difficult for us, as Americans living in 2023, to really relate to the royal psalms the way the original audience would have. Because why? Because we don't have kings today, do we? We're America. We're the land of the free. We don't have a king ruling over us. Isn't that great? 
Here's the thing. This is a song about a king. And our little blip in history is actually really unique in terms of how we are governed as a country. Um, if you go all the way back through human history, there have been kings. And even in countries that are set up with democracies or republics, I'm thinking Greece, I'm thinking ancient Rome, historically speaking, they always devolve into a monarchy. Every single time. What was it? Uh, they asked Benjamin Franklin when our country was founded, what kind of government do you have? Is it a monarchy or a republic? And he said, it's a republic if you can keep it. Because he understood that historically it's only a matter of time before we get to a point where we are serving a king. Because I think deep down there's something on the, the heart of every person that wants to serve a king. Um, there's actually a really cool uh, experiment you can do with kids where you take, you take some, some Skittles. You can do this in a classroom with kids, and you give each kid a set of Skittles, and you say, okay, the green ones are money, uh, the red ones are armies, the yellow ones are grain, right? And you tell them, okay, each of you as a country, make a government, do something. And they, every single time, they'll start off, they'll do some trading, um, They'll, they'll maybe start a vote system where they all collect together and band together and form a collective. But when you do this experiment with kids and the Skittles, every single time the game ends with one kid having all the Skittles and he's king or she is queen. Every single time. Isn't that fascinating? We were actually founded as a country on the idea that People yearn to serve a king. This is, this is a quote. I mean, this is from our, our, the Declaration of Independence. I find this fascinating. It says, Experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. See, see they understood too. We all want to serve a king. Look at, this is from 1 Samuel chapter 8. It says, the, all of the is, elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. So this is the beginning of 1 Samuel in the time of the judges. They came to Samuel and they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now, appoint a king to lead us just like all the other nations have. You might, you might know that, that story. See, Israel didn't want to have the system of judges. They didn't want the type of government that God had ordained for them. They weren't happy with the type of government God had made for them. They wanted a king because they wanted to be like everyone else. They wanted the power. They wanted a strong man leader. And, and, and in Samuel, Samuel warns the people. He says, you're not going to like it. You're going to be oppressed. This king is going to rule over you. He's going to put your sons and daughters and make them ride in front of his chariot. And what do they say? So the people refused to listen and said, no. They said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. There's something deep within us that wants to serve someone or something. And so what we really want deep down is we want a good king. 
we say we want freedom, but what we really want, what most people really want is they want somebody to take charge of their life who is just good, that they can trust. I'm talking both spiritually and physically here. So that's why Psalm 72 is so important. Psalm 72 talks about this prayer, God, make our king a good king. It says, endow the king with your justice, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness. They want a king who is just, who is good, who is righteous. He says he will defend the afflicted among the people. May he endure as long as the sun. And verse 7 says, may, in his days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. <clears throat> we want a king who makes things good for us, who gives us prosperity. We want a king who brings peace. We want a king who, king who brings justice. And if, and if you go through this psalm, you'll find that there's four qualities about the king being prayed about here. It's a king who is just, a king who promotes righteousness both in himself and in the people, a king who brings prosperity, right? May the grain abound even up on the mountaintops. Let there be grain growing. And a king who brings peace. Those are like the four major elements that you look for in a king, that the Israelites were looking for in a king, and justice and righteousness and prosperity and peace. And those are good things. We should pray for those things. We should pray for our leaders, our kings, that they be just, that they be righteous. We should pray in the same way that our kings that we have over us bring peace, that they're doing God's will, that we live in a land where people are righteous. It's, it's even okay to pray for prosperity. May grain abound throughout the land. It's even okay for us to pray. I know as Christians, we're supposed to be humble and live on less and not be caught up in material things, but it's, it's okay for us to pray to God about our leaders that we live in a place where there's food enough for people to eat. That people aren't starving on the street. That's part of the relationship we should have with our government, with our leaders. We should be praying for all of those things. First Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he dives in and says, who is all people? Well, part of all people is for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We should pray for peace. We should pray for justice, for righteousness, for prosperity. This might get a little dicey. Hopefully. Hopefully not. Don't say it out loud. But in your mind, I want you to think about your favorite president that you've either lived under, that you can think back, political leader, either living or deceased. I want you to think about the time when that person was in charge. And I want you to think about those qualities of justice, of prosperity, of righteousness, of, of peace in our culture. We've all lived in times where each of those elements were present at one point or another. There's been peace, there's been righteousness, there's been justice, there's been uh, prosperity. But I'd be willing to bet 
that at any point in history, one or more of those aspects has been lacking to some degree or another. We might have times with great peace and there's no wars going on, but there's also some people starving in the streets and there's not prosperity. Or we might be at good economic times that's fueled by the fact that we have to go to war somewhere. So this balancing act and this good king that the psalmist is praying for, realistically, is that, has that ever happened in human history? It's this... Ultimately, that's what the, the royal psalms are all about. They're a prayer to God for good leaders. It's a prayer for a king, either, either Solomon or Solomon's son or somebody. And there's this, there's this vein going all throughout the Old Testament that if we could just get a good king, things would be better. The people all throughout here, if we, could, if we could just get a good king, if we could just get a good president in office, if we could just get a good congressman, then everything would be fixed. That's what people... I think, crave, if I could just have somebody good to rule over my life, then every, all of my problems would be fixed. And, and even if you disagree with me, even if you think, nope, I don't want a king, I don't want anybody to rule my life, I don't need no politician, I say kick them all out. I think there's still a part of you that craves a king because you've probably had a moment where you thought to yourself, you know, Things wouldn't be so bad if up in Washington they just did whatever I think they should do. What you're really saying is, if I was the king, well then everything would be better. If I was the king, everything would be peachy. Well, no, it wouldn't. No, it would not. Even though we get, we get caught in this, this loop where we're almost addicted to serving under a king and just hoping that, that we're going to have a good king, we should be praying for our leaders with the understanding that there are no good kings. And just, I mean, just read this. There's this book. It's called The Bible. And there's actually a whole chapter in here all about kings. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, I'm just going to pick a random one. Let's see here. In the 18th year of the reign of Jeroboam, Elijah became king. He committed all the sins and followed him before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. Okay, that wasn't a good king. Let's, let's find another one here. Um, let's see. There's this king in the 15th year. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, hold on. Let me find another. There's got to be a good king in here somewhere. Hold on. No. If you, if you look at the history of the kings of Israel in the northern kingdom, the amount of kings who were considered to be good, zero. And when you look at Judah, out of all the kings of Judah, there were like three, maybe four, I can't remember. But even the good kings in Judah, it's like so-and-so was a good king, but... He didn't worship Baal, but he also didn't, wasn't like good. He didn't tear down the altars. He was okay. The Bible shows us again and again and again, there are no good kings. Well, then we think, well, okay, what about outside the Bible? What about in history? 
Maybe there's some leaders who were better than ever others, but there are no good kings, especially, especially in the USA. Remember the, the good old days when we used to have good leaders? No, you don't. Because there are no good kings. Most, this is a dirty little secret. Most of the, the founders of our, our country were actually not Christians. Hate to burst that bubble. We get this romantic idea that like America is this great Christian nation. Well, we don't have good kings either. That's the point I'm trying to get at. Presidents are no different. Thomas Jefferson actually had a Bible that's called the Jefferson Bible where he legitimately took the Gospels and a razor blade and glue and cut out all of the miracles of Jesus because he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And I need you to understand that this is not me coming from some sort of like anti-American political position where, because like if you know me, I'm one of the most patriotic people. I love my country. I literally am in the army. I bleed red, white, and blue. So this is not some sort of you know, progressive, woke, I hate America thing. This is simply me trying to convey the fact to you that when Paul says, all have fallen short of the glory of God, there are none righteous, no, not one, everyone is a sinner, there are no good of us, our leaders are not an exception. We don't worship our leaders. We pray for them, but we don't exalt them because they are no different than the rest of us. They're people who are sinful and fallen and broken. So, you have this picture in Psalm 72 of, of what a good king would look like. And we're in a little bit of a trap. Because we all crave a king, we all crave a good king, but there are no good kings. Well, then where do we go from there? How do we interact with our leaders in light of these three facts. I think some good, solid, biblical principles for how we should interact with our kings. Number one, we should obey our leaders. We should obey our government. We should pray for our government, but we should not exalt them, as I was, as I was saying earlier. Those are two different things. We should not turn our leaders and our po uh, politicians into idols. And that's not what Psalm 72 is about. Psalm 72 is praying for the king, not worshiping the king. Okay? This is, this is Romans 13. Paul says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So the Bible calls us to be in submission to our kings, even though they're not good kings. Because we know that God has put them in authority. We can't worship at the altar of politics. But at the same time, we have to recognize that whatever king God has put in place at that given moment in time, God has put there for a reason. And that can be difficult for us because sometimes it's a king we don't like. I don't know if you know much about Solomon, who this psalm was written about, but Solomon wasn't that great of a king either. 
He was very wise. He also did a lot of things that were against what the Bible said. He gathered horses. He went and married many wives from different countries. And in his old age, he ended up falling away from God. And so even this prayer for Solomon, Solomon wasn't a good king either. So that's the first thing. I think we should pray for our leaders. We should understand that God put them in authority. We should not exalt them. And the second thing I think is is a good biblical principle for how we should interact with our kings is what's called the the Daniel principle. I didn't I didn't come up with this idea. Um, there's some some researchers in uh, or not researchers some some pastors in uh, back east somewhere who thought of this. It's called the Daniel principle. We look at the book of Daniel and how Daniel interacted with Babylon. So Daniel lived in Babylon. He served King Nebuchadnezzar. He prayed for the king. He was generally concerned with the welfare of the king. He was genuinely concerned with the welfare of Babylon, that, that Babylon prospered. He served in the high courts. He was involved with his kings and leaders, and he cooperated and he obeyed King Nebuchadnezzar right up until the point when Nebuchadnezzar said, you're going to bow to this statue, and then Daniel said, no, I'm not going to do that. You're going to have to kill me because I'm not going to do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cooperative with the king right up until the point they said, you should forsake your God or we're going to throw you in the fire. And they said, just throw us in the fire then because we're not going to do that. As Christians and non-biblical issues on issues that aren't core to our faith, the Bible calls us to be in submission. We obey. That means if they want to raise my taxes, let them raise my taxes. That means if they, they want to uh, take away all my guns, let them take away all my guns. If they want to make me put on a mask, okay, I'm going to put on a mask. I am in submission. You want to tell me I'm not allowed to worship? Mm -mm. That's where I draw the line. You're going to have to kill me first. You want to tell me I need to bow down to the statue? I'm not going to do that. You're going to throw me in the fire. I would rather you throw me in the fire. You draw your line. This is the Daniel principle. You are obedient, submissive to your government, but you know where your line is, and you never cross that. That is a good biblical principle for how we relate to our king. And the third principle for how we should relate to our leaders, to our kings, is we should understand that we serve a higher king. Jesus Christ is our king. When you read Psalm 72 in light of our human rulers, it's almost bleak. It's almost like, man, they had such high hopes for their kings, for their leaders, for their government, and it just kind of went to pot, didn't it? When you look and read Psalm 72 in light of the kings in the Bible, well, that didn't work out. When you read them in light of our leaders, you're like, ah, oh, that didn't work out. When you read Psalm 72, understanding that it's not Solomon or Jeroboam or Ahaz or Donald Trump or Joe Biden or any of these people, Psalm 72 is a prayer that's answered in Christ. Well, then it all clicks. 
See, because I said one thing earlier that I need to slightly modify when I said there are no good kings. There's one. There's one good king that we can put our hope in. There's one good king who is endowed with justice. The royal son who judges his people in righteousness and the afflicted ones with justice. Who rules from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes bow before him. His enemies lick the dust. The kings of the distant shores bring tribute to him. Even as an infant in the manger, the kings and magi from distant shores came and brought tribute to the one true king, Jesus Christ. And I love verse 15 in light of Christ says, Long may he live. That's an understatement, isn't it? The Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and who was and is to come from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus Christ is our King. His name endures forever and it continues as long as the sun, longer than that even. All nations are blessed through him and they call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. We pray with me. Father God, we stand before your throne. Father, we, we understand that you and you alone rule our life. God, we want to take this opportunity to pray for our earthly leaders. We pray that you would give them wisdom. We pray that we would live in a land of righteousness. We pray that we would live in a land of prosperity, that those who are sick and poor and afflicted would have what they need. We pray that you would put godly leaders and, and rulers in our life. We pray that you would, you would bless them. We pray for, for our nation. We pray for what's truly good for our nation. But God, we, we want to tell you right now that they're only our secondary kings. We pray for our ultimate king, the only king who matters. We pray, for, we pray and give praise and glory to King Jesus. And it's in the king's name that we pray, in Jesus' name that we pray. In the church name. Amen.